Hello and welcome to the Heritage Podcast, where I inspect history's most notable events with a focus on the women who shaped them. I will try to delve into the lives and impact of radical women throughout history who broke rules and paved the way for a better and more equitable future for everyone. My name is Lara and I'm a high school student. I started this podcast as a passion project. For a while, I didn't really like history because I held this belief that it was just about memorising dates and statistics. Over time, I learnt that even though rigid facts play a crucial role in historical study, and I now appreciate this aspect, this is just the tip of the iceberg. For me, history is a culmination of various narratives of human experience. As they say, Rome wasn't built in a day, and similarly, the modernised society that we live in today is the direct result of the countless people who pioneered, changed, fixed and built it. Human nature is so complex that under pressing conditions people commit acts of extreme humanity and inhumanity. History teaches us this lesson. More importantly, history teaches us about ourselves in a way that no other area of study can. However, it is when these facts are manipulated to fit individual societal and national motives in a way that distorts the truth that from an inanimate area of study, history is granted life. By that, I mean history becomes an area of contestability and debate. People who know me would know that as well as history, I love talking. Therefore, the opportunity to create a podcast where I can talk about history is one that I cherish. The second wave of feminism in the late 20th century had a profound cultural impact on historiography as the academic focus shifted towards a progressively gynocentric narrative. Simply put, the written recount of major historical events traditionally ignored women or minimised their role to a stereotype. The stories of female historical figures were and are diminished, distorted and often silenced by those who have the privilege and responsibility of writing history. The effect of contemporary feminism on historiography has led to female historical figures being studied individually rather than in relation to men. Representations that misconstrue these women to fit the male gaze are slowly but surely being revised over time. In this podcast, I will do my best to answer overarching questions like, how did women shape ancient and modern societies? How pervasive is historiographical androcentricism? And most pertinently, what can a gendered study of history teach us about today's society through discussing case studies whilst freely discussing many interpretations and perspectives? Without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. So, if you have not guessed by the title, the American icon Harriet Tubman is the focus of today's podcast. I really hope that someone recognised the reference from the title. Um, Agent Moses was a horrible history sketch based on the life of Harriet Tubman. If you don't know what Horrible Histories is, please educate yourself. I'm very tempted to name every episode after like a Horrible Histories reference, but I am insufferable enough. Also, I don't know if it counts as a copyright breach, but if it is, I'm very sorry. Please don't sue me. Anyways, on to the episode. Harriet Tubman, born Araminta Ross, was the child of Harriet, or as she was known by most, Rit Green, who was a cook for the Brodus family, and Ben Ross, who was a skilled carpenter on the Eastern Shore. Araminta was born into slavery. Her maternal grandmother, Modesty, was born in either Ghana or Cote d'Ivoire and brought to work for Arthur Peterson in Maryland because of the transatlantic slave trade. Due to her enslavement, historians cannot concur on Harriet Tubman's date of birth. 
However, most accounts offer her birth year as circa 1820. Kate Larson, a prominent American historian, records the year as 1822, basing her conclusion on a midwife transaction and her fugitive notice, whilst Jean Humez, Professor of Women's Studies and U.S. History at the University of Massachusetts stated, The best current evidence suggests that Tubman was born in 1820, but it might have been a year or two later. Harriet Tubman herself reported her birth year as 1825, whilst her official death certificate lists 1815, a decade earlier. We cannot conclude Harriet Tubman's birth date, which frustrates me because I don't like historical mysteries. They just frustrate me um i will explore this idea further today but i think the whole uncertainty surrounding harriet tubman's birthday links heavily to how dehumanizing the entire u.s slave system was like the only paper records which mentioned enslaved people like tubman were their proof of purchase and this reflects greatly on the fact that enslaved people were viewed as inhuman therefore were not worthy of having their birth date or any other identifying information put in writing and this lack of written sources on the lives of enslaved people is a major challenge for historians. Catherine Clinton, an American historian concerned with the antebellum South, wrote that circa affixed before a birth year is one of the most common legacies of slavery, a statement that rings true with the biography of Harriet Tubman. I think it is also quite interesting to mention here that writ Harriet Tubman's mother was granted manumission at the age of 45 due to a specific mention in her owner, Arthur Peterson's will. This is noteworthy as special provisions for early emancipation were commonly given to mixed race people, and some historians believe that Ruth was the illegitimate daughter of Arthur Peterson. Um, in her early childhood, Harriet Tubman was likely provided little more than the simplest necessities required to sustain life. Planters rationed out the, base, the bare minimum of food, water and shelter to keep slaves' offspring alive. Clothing for enslaved children was often scant and were inadequate for bleak weather conditions. The children of slaves were an essential commodity for less affluent planters. I guess that understanding this makes it clear that there would never be an effort to give Harriet a proper childhood with safety, nourishment or protection from harm. Tubman wrote on this, stating that she grew up like a neglected weed, ignorant of liberty, having no experience of it. The fact that Harriet wrote that growing up, she never cared about freedom because she just never had it. Um, it saddens me because she and countless others grew up believing they were inferior and subordinate due to their race. Harriet Tubman, later in life, reflected upon the traumatic events that occurred during her formative years. Particularly, Harriet was deeply disturbed by the disappearance of her beloved siblings carried off by slave traders. In her musings, she wrote that she had watched two of her sisters carried off, weeping and lamenting. This event permanently impacted Harriet, and she was never able to forget the, and I quote, agonised expression on the children. Harriet was never able to reunite with her lost sisters, and her parents were never able to find their lost children. This is just so heartbreaking, and it reminds me of how destructive slavery was as a system to not only individuals, but to families. In the profound words of Lewis Hayden, a fugitive slave, I have one child buried in Kentucky, and that grave is pleasant to think of. I have got another that is sold nobody knows where, and that I never can bear to think. In a way, the prospect of family members lost to slave sales was worse than death, because at least the latter option 
um, allows closure or the ability to grieve. I think that the harrowing experience of losing her sisters was a factor that inspired Harriet Tubman in her later work assisting others escape, as she knew from personal experience how destructive enslavement was to families and she did not want others to experience the loss and devastation that she had. Harriet Tubman is best known for her willingness to sacrifice herself for others and I personally find it so interesting that this immense sacrifice could be seen in young Harriet. When she was just 12, she was sent to a local store on an errand and encountered a young enslaved man who had left his plantation without permission. When the fugitive's overseer demanded Harriet grab him, Harriet defiantly refused by blocking the door. Infuriated, the overseer grabbed a two-pound weight and hurled it at the runaway, but it fell short, striking Harriet on the head. It took many months for Harriet to recover from this horrific injury, and her overseers did not offer her any medical attention. Harriet's untreated injuries led to a lifelong condition consisting of severe narcolepsy, debilitating migraines, and frequent seizures. This event, I think, represents Harriet Tubman's life and legacy. I'll explain. You see, 12-year-old Harriet could have helped the overseer restrain the runaway, which was the sensible option. Likewise, grown-up Harriet could have lived her emancipated life in a private manner because it was not exactly safe to live as a black woman in Virginia during the 1800s. However, if you remember one thing from this entire episode, make sure it is that Harriet Tubman never picked the easy or rational option. She was quite a risk-taker, maybe reckless to some, and she jeopardised it all, her freedom, her safety and her life, just to help others. 12-year-old Harriet risked getting in trouble from the overseer at the shop and her own um, and her own safety, but she still stood in the doorway enabling a stranger to escape oppression and persecution. I'm pretty sure that if you asked grown-up Harriet Tubman if she could go back in time, whether she still would have refused to assist the overseer, she would have made that sacrifice again, again and again, even with the hindsight of the brain injury which she sustained as a result. To me, that is just the person Harriet Tubman was. Harriet blossomed into a strong young woman who did not mind the back-breaking work of hoisting flower barrels onto carts as she preferred the company of her brothers and the other field labourers than the smothering scrutiny of the white mistresses who she resented. On a final note to conclude the childhood and adolescence of Harriet Tubman, in all the primary sources that I have read, and I have read quite a lot, there are a few descriptions of Harriet when she was a young girl. Um, there are a few accounts from her overseer and various mistresses who observed that she was sickly and often ill, but I could not find any descriptions on her childhood nature, which leaves me to wonder, was she curious, stubborn, talkative, shy, imaginative, adventurous, creative, athletic? I think Catherine Clinton, US historian and Harriet Tubman biographer, describes my sentiment about this the best. Slavery may or may not have robbed this child of traits and preferences, but the absence of historical sources offers little on which to speculate. In 1844, at around 23 years old, Harriet Tubman marries born free black man John Tubman and took his last name, as her maiden name was Ross. It was said that John Tubman was brash and aloof. In 1849, she feared that she would be sold to another plantation. 
Tubman resolved to escape and set out one night on foot with the kind assistance of a white woman. She followed the North Star by night, reaching Philadelphia, where she picked up casual work and saved her money. On her escape, her owners placed a $100 bounty on her head, but Tubman's strong understanding of Maryland's wild regions helped her escape and evade bounty hunters. The following year, Harriet bravely went back to Maryland to bring her sister and her sister's two children to freedom. She made the dangerous trip three times to rescue her brother and two of his friends. However, on her third return, she went for her husband, but to her shock, he'd been t- he'd taken another wife. Their separation was brought on by Harriet's determination to gain her own freedom in the North, and I think more generally, this represents the duality between her old life as a slave and the strength she acquired as a free woman. Through Harriet, though Harriet, sorry, tried to persuade her husband to escape with her ideals of the peaceful life they could share as a free couple, John Tubman, a born free man, did not care for Harriet's dreams of full independence. Harriet was firm in her belief and though it was not her wish, she knew that she had to leave the regressive ideals of John and the South behind. Undeterred by John's betrayal, after rescuing her family, including a a particularly perilous mission to free her parents, Harriet found other enslaved people seeking freedom and escorted them to the North. Tubman's independence is just so empowering to me. She was just an incredible woman who was aware of her self-worth but also so compassionate and outward looking. You cannot show humanity towards anyone else until you show humanity to yourself. And I think Harriet Tubman is the epitome of this idea by accepting John's opposing ideas and allowing him to leave. Tubman returned to the South again and again and again, rescuing enslaved people and their families, allowing them to live in the North. By no means was the North the peaceful, progressive utopia that some people envision, but it was free. And to a person enduring the oppressions of slavery, the notion of freedom was utopic. Harriet Tubman was quite clever, and there were many tricks she used to make her expedition successful. For example, leaving on a Saturday night, since runaway notices could not be placed in newspapers until Monday mornings, turning about and going southward if she noticed potential slave hunters, and carrying pills to pacify a crying baby if it would jeopardise the safety of the fugitives. Harriet also even carried a gun on her, which she used to threaten the fugitives if they became too tired from the heavy walking or decided to turn back. And she told them, you'll be free or die, a statement that has become synonymous with Harriet's tenacious resolve and the wider abolition movement. Harriet's ingenuity and self-assuredness led to the success of all her missions, and she once said, I was a conductor of the Underground Railroad for eight years, and I can say what most conductors can't. I never ran on a train of of track, and I never lost a passenger. Harriet led many slaves to free land by following the North Star, and each perilous, arduous mission was accomplished with success. Harriet Tubman gained a reputation for her successful missions, and by 1856, her bounty had jumped from just $100 to $40,000 from the South, which demonstrates the renown she garnered. She overheard some men reading her wanted notice, which stated that she was illiterate. So, Harriet pulled out a book and pretended to read it. This was able to fool the men.
1860, Harriet had made the perilous trip to southern country 20 times and had gained the moniker Moses as she had led many to freedom along the Underground Railroad. Frederick Douglass, a famous abolitionist, said, I know of no one who had willingly encountered more perils and hardships to serve our enslaved people than Harriet Tubman. Harriet, when she was not conducting rescue missions for enslaved people, she associated herself with other famous abolitionists and attended anti-slavery meetings. During the Civil War, Harriet Tubman was a spy for the Union and performed a variety of versatile roles, being a cook, a nurse bringing injured soldiers back to health, and even a spy who led 150 black soldiers. In her later life, Harriet lived close to poverty, but she still worked for the good of others, establishing a place where the poor and needy could live in her hometown of Auburn, New York. Harriet grew older and older. She became no longer able to maintain the house and donated it to the A&E Zion Church. And this house became known in the future as the Harriet Tubman Home for the Aged. I checked and this house is still functioning and has helped many older people who face difficult circumstances and homelessness. She passed in 1913, aged 90 or 91, leaving a remarkable legacy. Her legacy was not just passed down through oral history, but through the accounts of the over 300 people she led to freedom, an astounding achievement. I think Harriet's historical legacy is so interesting because many families who were emancipated by Harriet Tubman all share a little slice of her legacy, like pieces in a giant puzzle. I think Harriet Tubman's legacy is so, so special because of the profound impact she had on so many through emancipating enslaved people. I think the twin revival of both gender and racial histories in historiographical study has led to figures like Rosa Parks and Katherine Johnson gaining the recognition they deserve. However, I think in spite of this, Harriet Tubman was not really a member of the African-American women who have been featured more prominently in historiography. There is this notion that Harriet Tubman was this docile, kind, maternal figure and thus does not deserve to be classified as an example of black female resistance. Though Harriet Tubman was a kind person with many motherly characteristics, these were certainly not her only personality traits and she, like everyone, deserves to be recognised for the complex human she was because this perception of Harriet implies the sexist belief that her kindness and motherliness excludes her from being a strong and independent figure. Not only is it sexist, but it has roots in racism. A popularized caricature historically used to demean and degrade black women is the mammy stereotype. A journal from Ferris State University defines the term mammy as an older woman, overweight and dark skinned, the idealized figure of a caregiver, loyal, maternal, non-threatening, obedient and submissive. Some contemporary historians denote this caricature as a reflection of white superiority and in the same way as Civil War propagandists painted the image of the happy slave who endured labouring for his master. Likewise, the mammy stereotype creates an image of black women living blissfully in their subservience. And I don't think I need to explain how that line of thinking is deeply problematic. Christine Clinton is a historian who I've referred to a couple times in today's episode wrote that Harriet Tubman cannot remain a mammy figure, a warm, nurturing historical caricature, as with Pocahontas before her, 
Tubman's life demands more than pop culture projects and forces us to seek the underlying causes that make her legacy so powerful today, end quote. Harriet Tubman was a woman who wielded both strength and kindness, two traits that I believe are intertwined, not mutually exclusive, to uplift her community, and I believe that her life and legacy does not and should not fit into the racist moulds that public history places on historical women of colour. Film plays such a fundamental role in public history, filmmakers have certain responsibilities. The film displays Harriet Tubman's strength, resilience and compassion well. The lead actress, Cynthia Erivo, has a soulful acting style and many have commended her mournful fury and valiant performance. I literally got shivers throughout the film and the original song, Stand Up, is such an empowering number. The lyrics, far across the river, can you hear freedom calling, reminds me of the biblical exodus, which like Harriet Tubman is often called Moses and I think they make clear links to that comparison throughout the film, which is really interesting. I've watched quite a few films that feature or center around US slavery, and I want to talk about one that makes an interesting case study. Firstly, 12 Years a Slave is just incredible, and it's based on the biography of Solomon Northup, who writes of his harrowing re-enslavement and his eventual re-emancipation. I love the film because it does an incredible job of recreating the backdrop of antebellum America, as well as highlighting the abuse and suffering experienced by African-American people during this period. The Wanting Academy Award for Best Actress for her compelling and impressive performance and Sarah Paulson has been highly acclaimed both by critics and the public for her horrifying portrayal of the sadistic Mary Epps. I also think that it's, like, it is commendable that the film had an African-American history scholar as a consultant during the planning, writing and filming process. Emily West, Associate Professor of History at the University of Reading, specialising in US Civil War history, stated that she had never seen a film represent slavery more accurate. Furthermore, while researching, I found this visual blog called Information is Beautiful. And through a complex data analysis process, they calculated that, that the film was 88.1% historically accurate, writing that, while there is a touch of dramatic license here and there, the most gut-wrenching scenes really happened. 12 Years a Slave ranks among my favourite films of all time. It is definitely not a comfort viewing, but it is so moving and I would definitely recommend it to everyone. On the topic of antebellum film, I also saw Django Unchained on Netflix like a few months ago and it was a great film, don't get me wrong, but the amount of like violence and gore in it, I didn't expect it, but I guess it was a Quentin Tarantino film and I should have been more prepared. Um, but yeah, um, also Gone with the Wind, highest grossing film of all time, based on a novel from 1936, is known as a period drama and a classic film, recognised and loved by many generations. However, Gone with the Wind is deeply problematic. Firstly, it perpetuates the happy slave myth. Um, it has white supremacist undertones. It largely ignores the issue of slavery. It promotes the KKK as an honorable political association. It conveys the South as protectors of tradition. It glorifies the Confederate cause. It also promotes marital rape amongst many issues. Um, Gone with the Wind romanticizes decadence juxtaposed by cruelty, oppression, and suffering beyond measure. Okay, I think I've got through all my content. If you would like to read more about Harriet Tubman, I put all the sources that I used as research material in a Google Doc, which is linked. Funny story, I was going to focus on Boudicca in today's episode, 
but um, if you know me well, I literally have the world's shortest attention span. So I began writing about Boudicca last week, but I completely forgot about it and began writing about Harriet Tubman. I still have my half-baked Boudicca note somewhere on my laptop, so I will do an episode on her either next week or sometime soon, I promise. And I'm also considering exploring prominent women in and related to the antebellum period in like a series. Um, because I love Twitter and <laughs> so when a historian I follow on the platform tweeted about some new feminist historiography novel, I decided to contribute to the economy and buy it impulsively, even though I think we're in like inflation, so I don't think I helped the economy out by buying stuff, but whatever. It's actually brilliant and it's called Wake, written by the prolific Dr. Rebecca Hall, and it presents the history of the many black women who resisted slavery. The graphic novel is deeply personal, which gives it this beautiful sincerity and depth as it highlights the intergenerational trauma resulting from countless decades of sexual abuse and dehumanization. Hall's vivid ideas are further realized through the use of the graphic novel form, which brings this narrative to life. It also annoys me when people argue that the US Civil War was over states' rights. Like, yeah, the states' rights to own people Um, The belief that the Confederate cause was noble and one of the most pervasive myths in US modern history. I think it would be interesting to dedicate an episode to the controversial women who perpetuated it. For the Heritage Podcast, I plan to continue discussing women in antebellum America. This period encourages a debate of both racial and gendered histories, together with the distinctions and similarities between the two spaces. However, I will also be featuring some other iconic women in history like Agrippina, Cleopatra and Katherine Johnson in the next few episodes, which I am very excited about. Thank you tremendously for tuning in to today's episode of the Heritage Podcast. I really mean it. Having the opportunity to create a podcast is something that I've dreamt about for a very long time. So I thank each and every one of you from the bottom of my heart for your listening and support. I'm also very sorry for all the like slip-ups and stumbling over words in today's episode. I'm quite nervous if you can't tell and I hope to improve on this over the next few episodes. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me at the address linked in my footnote section. To close up today's episode, here is a quote from Harriet Tubman to think about. Always remember, you have within you the strength, the patience and the passion to reach for the stars and change the world.